Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26, as we give our attention to God's holy word. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Beloved, it was at the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper that Jesus gave an ongoing command to the church. It's earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 23 when Jesus said, speaking of this table, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And what does it mean for us to remember Jesus? You probably all know those words. They're often carved into the front of communion tables. Do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean? 
How do we do it? What help do we have in order to accomplish it? Because surely to remember Jesus is not something that can be checked off a list by vague and general thoughts about Jesus. How do you remember him? Well, the best help that we have is the Bible itself. The gospel accounts. What God has given us that tells us about his son. And in particular, that time before and during and after the cross. So as we come to the table that is the sacrament of his suffering on the cross, these words that God himself has given us are the best help for you and for me to remember him. And since the writing of the New Testament, Christians have given their particular attention and focus to the words recorded in the Gospels that Jesus spoke as he was actually lifted up on the cross. As he suffered there, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And as you collect those sayings of Jesus in all of the Gospels, you see that there are seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. Sometimes they're called the seven words, simply. The Ten Commandments are sometimes called the ten words. But now in the Gospels, as Jesus hangs on the cross, the seven words. Now we can, of course, make too much of the numbers in the Bible and fall into numerology, which is not Christian and not biblical itself try to find secret meanings and cryptic codes in the numbers of the Bible. But seven is the number of perfection, and it's not hard to imagine, is it, that these seven words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross were the perfect things for Jesus to say as the Lamb of God who laid down his life for his people. And so for this afternoon and for the next six celebrations of the Lord's Supper, Lord willing, we'll consider together, we haven't done it in 25 years, we'll consider together these seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And the first here is in Luke chapter 23, and it's a prayer. Jesus said, in verse 34, Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in this prayer of Jesus from the cross, we can see a prayer of sympathy, a prayer of suffering, and also a prayer of salvation. Boys and girls, you can remember those three words. They all begin with the same letter. A prayer of sympathy, a prayer of suffering, and a prayer of salvation. Well, first, how is this a prayer of sympathy? We know, don't we, how easy it is to be selfish. 
to be self-absorbed. And in that self-absorption to be oblivious or even at times when we are aware, unconcerned for the people around us. But Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was never selfish, but always selfless. He did not come to be served, but to serve. To lay down his life a ransom for many. He loved others. And he put others before himself. That's what we read, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that is the mind of Christ, Paul says. And you know that especially when we are suffering ourselves, the pull of the force of selfish gravity seems often to increase. And we can understand that and appreciate that. But now here is Jesus. After Gethsemane. Now hanging on the cross. And he's praying. But not for himself. He's praying for others. This is not a prayer of me, but a prayer concerning them. It's not wrong to pray concerning yourself. Jesus prayed, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but yet not my will but thine be done. But now as he's on the cross, he's praying, but for others. How sympathetic this great high priest is. Prayer marked the life and ministry of Jesus all his days. But to see him praying now, to see him praying there for others, what matchless sympathy. And this prayer of sympathy was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was the prophecy of this first saying, this prayer from the cross. Jesus interceding for transgressors. That's the prayer he prayed then. 
And now where is Jesus? What is he doing now? Crucified, dead, and buried, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of God, he is still interceding in sympathy for his children, his people, as believers for you and for me. This is a prayer of sympathy. But it is also at the same time a prayer of suffering. Suffering. Perhaps, as we'll see, some of the other sayings from the cross more clearly speak of his suffering. But as we meditate just for a while on this first saying, we see here a deepening humiliation of the Savior in his suffering. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now think of this prayer. Father, forgive them. Does that strike you at all as you think through the life of Christ in the Gospels? That Jesus would pray here, Father, forgive them. Let me read you a passage from Mark chapter 2. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat with the man the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. So what's the whole point of that passage in Mark? Jesus had authority on earth to forgive sins. And yet, what does he pray here on the cross? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. It is as if Jesus is now at a deeper level of humiliation, a more profound experience of suffering, Our Redeemer is one person in two natures, the God-man. Those natures, his full divinity, his full humanity are not separate and they are not confused. They are joined in one person now forever. And yet there is a great mystery there.
But it seems almost in these words of Jesus, especially as we think of what he made such a great point of earlier on in his ministry, that now his authority to forgive sin on the earth, now his authority as God is now, as it were, being eclipsed by the suffering of his human nature. Father, forgive them. And that humiliation and suffering will go even deeper. Here he prays, Father. But soon it will change. Even that will change. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There seems to be something in these small nuances of Christ on the cross that just point to an increasing suffering. He suffered throughout his all life. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. But that suffering increased. It, it was beginning that crescendo in Gethsemane. And now on the cross, what did it mean for him who had no sin to be made sin for us? It is a deepening suffering and a deepening humiliation. So the Son of God, the Son of Man who once showed that he had authority on earth to forgive sins, now in his suffering is himself crying out to the Father, forgive them. This is a prayer of intensifying suffering, intensified suffering for us and for our salvation. But last, this is a prayer of salvation, wonderfully. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Beloved, here is the core, here is the pith, here is the central blessing, the forgiveness of sin. You shall call his name Jesus, because he it is who will save his people from their sins. Father, forgive them. Do we forget how much we needed and we still need forgiveness? Is, in the language of the psalmist, our sin ever before our eyes? Do we humbly confess it? Do we earnestly repent of it? Jesus says, Father, forgive them. This is the wonderful gospel good news declaration of the forgiveness of sins. If you would mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But yet with you there is what? Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Here it's sins of ignorance. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We read language like that in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 2.8, Paul says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Or Paul says of himself, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Sins of ignorance. There's an ignorance there, not understanding really what's happening, but there's still sins. Ignorance is not a way around the cross. They're sins of ignorance. But Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These sins still need forgiveness, and there is forgiveness. But doesn't it make you think and wonder about those who know? Those who have heard. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's a solemn thing. And there are great warnings in the Bible. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, when does a person cross that line? I don't know. I don't know. God does. But our concern is to hear that warning and to turn and hear and believe and listen and confess. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, forgive them. The one who prayed this prayer of forgiveness, this prayer of salvation, is himself the source of forgiveness. He is the only place where forgiveness can be found. Are you forgiven? Not asking if you're perfect. But are you forgiven? Not even really asking what you've done. 
but are you forgiven? In the full and free offer of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the Christ who said, Father, forgive them, as he hung on the cross, which purchased that forgiveness. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Therefore, my friends, said Paul, Acts 13, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And as we hear Jesus' prayer this afternoon, Father, forgive them. Let us pray that we would be the answer to that prayer.